Give our praise team a round of applause if you appreciate them as you're sitting down. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bible. I'm going to have you go to 2 Samuel chapter 9. I've got to roll because I have a lot of material to cover. The Lord has just been heavy on me this week. And I am so excited to have the opportunity to teach you how to break the stronghold of shame by the power of the spirit of a living, mighty, powerful, present, and purposeful God. Uh, Before I do that, real quick, I want to mention a couple of things. The Ultimate Escape video that played, Steve and Holly Holiday are here this morning. These guys are very close personal friends of mine. Their ministry is so critical. If you notice something that they post on Facebook or that we post on our Facebook that is related to their ministry, if you would do them and us and that mission a favor by just sharing it or inviting somebody to one of the functions or just trying to get the word out, I cannot overstate how much I support those guys. Second thing, Jace Robertson will be speaking here uh, next weekend. And I don't want you to miss, he's going to be preaching through the same kind of content, uh, breaking strongholds that Mike and I have been preaching through. And I'm excited uh, that he's going to be speaking for us and want you to be here for that. Last thing, before I get into my lesson, uh, I think it is so important to have your actual sword with you. I want to encourage you to bring your Bible uh, to church when you attend. I just think it's something uh, really powerful about having God's Word with you. And... Our church has been redeveloping our app on your phone. And if you happen to have your phone this morning and the WFR app, we are testing a sermon note fill-in sheet, which is on your app. So if your app automatically updates, you go to the WFR church app. At the bottom of the app, click sermons. When you click sermons, today's date is available to click you got my outline with some fill-in-the-blank statements that are going to track what I am talking about today. I want you to have God's Word, but I also want you to be able to take notes and remember what you are being taught from the Word of God. And I think we can use our uh, current capability in terms of electronics to help you with that process. One thing that would be helpful for me is if you are trying to access the app and using it, we want to make it as excellent as we possibly can. I committed to you at the first of this year that our church was working hard at making everything we do something done with excellence. So this is kind of that first run at seeing whether or not the app is user-friendly, useful to you, or if it needs to be tweaked. So I I challenge you to use that. You're going to be able to follow along with my lesson. And um, I hope that in addition to the Word of God, it'll be something that helps you retain the teachings of God. Can I get an amen? Okay, I want to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5. I know I told you to go to 2 Samuel. You can stay there. Here's 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5. The Bible says this. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive everything that happens between our ears. Every single thought and make it obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the method by which... God breaks down strongholds in our life. And a stronghold is any area of our life that is defined more by the lies of the enemy than by the truth of the Lord. A stronghold is anything in our life 
that is more defined by the lies of the enemy than by the truth of the Lord. The enemy is constantly trying to cause us pain that leads us to believe a lie about ourselves. That's shame. That's what I'm going to be talking about today. Uh, The enemy wants us to believe a lie about God. That's a problem with theology. That's why we study God's Word. The enemy wants you to believe a lie about other people. That creates relationship problems, which is why we gather in community together so that God can speak His truth to us in the relationships we have with other brothers and sisters in God's kingdom God's kingdom is defined by all those who Jesus Christ reigns over. These lies are contained right up here, right between our ears. And we fight a daily battle to allow the truth of God to reign over the lies of the devil. And 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5 says, you can win this battle. Through the power of the Spirit, you can take, listen to this, I, I know some of you are battling and some of your struggle and the lies the enemy gets you to believe. I can't wait to share this text I'm going to share with you today. It is a struggle and it feels like there's no possible way every single thought, Trent, can be taken captive to the obedience of Christ. That's not just what Trent's saying. That is what the inerrant, infallible Word of God tells you today. So the enemy is going to use pain you have been through to try to get you to believe a lie about you, a lie about God, or a lie about others. And those are the weapons that the enemy forms against us. That's Isaiah 54. I want to go there right now. I got this on the screen for you. Isaiah 54, 17. The Bible says this. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper. No pain that you've been through that the enemy tries to use to lie to you and deceive you about you and about God and about others. No weapon will prosper. This verse doesn't say that no weapon will not, that weapons will not form. Weapons are definitely going to form against you. Pain is definitely going to happen. The enemy is definitely going to use that pain to try and convince you about a lie that's not true about you. He's going to use that pain to try and convince you of of a lie that's not true about God. He's going to use that pain to try and convince you of a lie that's not true about others. And you have, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the ability to take those lies to God's truth and take every thought captive to the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. Church, weapons will form. You will go through pain and the enemy is going to try to get you to believe a lie. But those weapons will not prosper if you yield yourself to the power of God by the Spirit. And you'll follow some of the teaching that God's going to give to you today. Can I get an amen for that? I'm going to teach some to you and I'm going to preach some to you. And if I'm preaching and you don't give me like a hand clap or an amen to let me know you're listening, I'm just going to keep on preaching and that, that might take me a long time. So if nothing else, let that fear motivate you. Okay, I, I want to go to Second uh, Samuel chapter 9. And as you're turning there, I want to teach you about two different types of shame. Okay? Shame happens when you judge yourself 
based on the pain you've lived through in your past. Shame happens when you judge yourself based on the pain that you've lived for, that pain that you've experienced in your past. And in life, when you are dealing with enough pain, your shame can turn toxic. Toxic shame is what I want to talk to you about today. Okay? In your life, when you've been through enough pain, and the enemy has used that pain to lie to you over and over and over and over again, that shame turns toxic and it corrupts everything you see, especially yourself. There's a different type of shame. So there's toxic shame. The Bible talks about a different type of shame. And I really want you to understand this as I'm going to teach this to you. Another type of shame I would call transformational shame. Toxic shame from the pain I've been through in the past causes me to judge myself. Transformational shame comes from being guilty of sin and being under the conviction of the power of the Holy Spirit and getting embarrassed about the brokenness and depravity of my life. That leads to repentance and that promotes transformation. Okay, Toxic shame leads to a corrupted worldview and shuts down my spirit. Toxic shame shuts down my spirit. And in 2 Samuel 9, we get the story of a shut down life. A shut down life. And this is really when God started to move on my heart, when, when God inspired me with this text. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9, a, a toxic shame that led to a shut down life. Okay? And I really need you to open your hearts and your spirits here. Let's read from the Word of God. The Bible says this. Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They called him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba, your servant? He replied. The king asked, Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? And Ziba answered, There is still... A son of Jonathan, he is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Makir, son of Amiel, in Lodibar. I want to stop right there and I want to tell you what's going on here. David is the king in Israel. And right now, Israel is united. There is no uh, northern and southern kingdom. Israel is one kingdom. There's been one king before David, and his name is Saul. And Saul was everything we would normally think a king should be. He was handsome. He was tall. He was athletic. He was talented. He was popular. And God makes him king, and it is a miserable failure. And I want to remind you that so often what we see on the outside has no value considering what God can see within each of us. And when we start talking about toxic shame and the lies the enemy gets us to believe about ourselves, so often I think we look at the external and try to place value on those things. And God would tell each of us, it's not what I can see on the outside that matters. You could have a tomb painted up all nice and beautiful, and fine, but on the inside, if it's dead, then there's no life there. David was the youngest son of a shepherd family, no money, no money. 
no fame, no fortune, wasn't handsome, the least likely guy in his family to prosper. And God teaches us a lesson on shame that I had to avoid teaching as a part of this lesson through how he establishes kings in Israel. So David is the king, Saul was the previous king, and Saul was a bad dude, but he had a son named Jonathan. And Jonathan and David were close. They loved each other dearly. And there was a time where Saul knew that David was rising up in Israel in influence and wanted to kill David. And Jonathan saved David's life. So Jonathan has this son named Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth, according to our text, has some disability. He's got some things on the outside that people might look at unfavorably, but I'm not so much concerned with how people look at Mephibosheth or how people look at you. I'm more concerned with how Mephibosheth looks at himself. And I'm more concerned with how you judge your own self. So I want to go back in the text, 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. I want to show you how Mephibosheth became disabled. And we're going to get into some of his family story, and I promise this is going to be helpful to you today. 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. Jonathan, son of Saul, I gave you that background a little bit, had a son who was lame in both feet. We already knew that from 2 Samuel 9, 3. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan, I'm going to tell you what news that was in just a minute, when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. Can I just tell you, church, that sometimes life can change in an instant? Man, you wake up one day and it looks like you're living on planet Earth, and within a moment, you're living on planet Mars. If there's one certainty in life, it seems that that certainty is that life is uncertain. If there's one certainty in life, in addition to that, it's that we're all just one phone call away from being brought to our knees. As I was preparing this lesson, I thought to myself, you know what? Mephibosheth's story is really your story. And it's really mine. And it's really any person who's ever lived on planet Earth's story. Good good people go through bad things all the time. This is a five-year-old boy. Did he do anything wrong in this text? Absolutely not. You know, the first time I read this verse in 2 Samuel 4, I misread it. Let me tell you how I read it. Uh, His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried in love is how I first read that. And I thought to myself, you know what? Sometimes the pain we've experienced in life isn't because of someone's bad intention. It's because somebody was doing the best they could, and it still caused an unfortunate amount of pain. Now, there's a flip side to that coin for certain. And sometimes the reason we feel shame, the reason we feel disabled, the reason we don't feel good enough is because someone deliberately and intentionally hurt us. Most of the origin I see week in and week out of toxic shame is heavy 
sinful, terrible stuff like sexual abuse. No human being ever deserves to, to experience abuse of any kind. Sometimes the origin of toxic shame is physical abuse. Sometimes it's neglect and sometimes it's, it's emotional abuse. Can you imagine a five-year-old kid dropped with both of his feet broken trying to live life in today's culture? How many times do you think he gets picked first for kickball? How many times do you think he's given the Mr. Hustle Award after a football game? How many times does he have something to brag on that the culture would place value on in Mephibosheth's life? That's zero. And it's not because he's done anything wrong. It's because this world is sin-infected. And when we go through pain, God uses that pain. The enemy, Satan, uses that pain to get us to believe lies about both ourselves and about God. And in 2 Samuel 4, we see a life ravaged by misfortune. Let me give you a little bit more of that backstory. You'd have to go to 1 Samuel 31 to figure out what news the nurse got that compelled her to pick up Mephibosheth and flee. Listen to the family story of Mephibosheth here in 1 Samuel 31. I'm going to pick up in verse 2. The Philistines were in hot pursuit of Saul, the first king in Israel, and his sons. One of those sons' name is Jonathan, who was a great friend of King David. Saul and his sons are running from the Philistines, and the Philistines killed his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malchi Shua. The fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer was terrified and would not do it, so Saul took his own sword and fell on it. Let me give you the life story of Mephibosheth in about one minute. His grandfather ended his own life and lived disobedient to God. His own father was murdered and the family fortune went bankrupt. And when Mephibosheth's nurse, when he was five years old, got this news, she scoops this precious, innocent child up in her arms and runs for her life, and in the midst of all that tragedy, and this is so often what happens in life, in the midst of all that tragedy, tragedy strikes. And Mephibosheth gets dropped and he's disabled for the rest of his life. Now I want you to think about how tragic this is. On the anniversary of the day he was dropped, he also commemorates the anniversary of the the death of his family. And so the worst day of the year carries with it so much pain and agony and misery and misfortune. That's your story. And that's my... Man, right when it feels like life can't get any worse, I get kicked in the teeth. 
right when I feel like I don't have any strength left and I've pulled myself up to the top of the mountain, I realize there's more distance to climb. Right when I feel alone and isolated and rejected, even the one or two people I depend on betray me. Right when it feels like all hope is lost and I've reached the darkest part of the valley, the valley even gets a little bit deeper. Right when I feel like I can't go on, the last little bit of my strength is zapped from me and I just feel worthless. That's toxic shame. And that's the story of Mephibosheth. But David's interested in Mephibosheth. Man, I can't wait to get where I'm going. Okay? I want to pick up the text back in 2 Samuel 9, starting in verse 6. So David asks Ziba, hey, is there anybody left from the house of Jonathan? Now that I'm king, I want to find a member of Jonathan's house. And Ziba's like, yeah, there is still a member of the household of Jonathan. He's living in this place called Lodibar. And and I know where he's at. And David says, go find this guy and bring him to me. And when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, and I don't like that word because I don't think he said it. I think he shouted, Mephibosheth! At your service, Mephibosheth replied. Don't be afraid, said David. For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Listen to this man's words. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? When toxic shame has been poisoning you for long enough and you have really shut down, I wouldn't be surprised to hear you describe yourself feeling like Mephibosheth does. I just feel like I'm a dead dog, like I'm worthless. Let me describe to you three things about the effect of shame. The first effect of shame is that shame takes you away to a far country. Shame takes you away to a far country. The name Lodibar, unless you were a scholar, you just wouldn't know this. Debar means word or thing in Hebrew. And lo means no. So it's literally the place of no thing. It's a nothing town in our in our vernacular, we, you know what we would say? It's in the middle of nowhere. It's in the middle of nowhere. When you've lived with toxic shame long enough that it has poisoned your mind to the point of you being totally shut down, you can't help but want to run away from everyone and everything and avoid every familiar face 
and every familiar place that could remind you of the shame of your family or that could remind you of the shame of your disability or that could remind you of the shame of the things that you've been through or the shame of your pain or the shame of your past or the agony that someone else caused you. You just can't help but want to run away to the middle of nowhere where there's nothing that can remind you of the agony and self-loathing you feel about the individual staring back at you when you look in the mirror. This man lives in the middle of nowhere. Shame takes you to a faraway country. And we just want to get away. Just leave me alone. I'm a lost cause. Here's the other thing that shame influences in people. Shame keeps you living in the pain of your past and keeps you really, really fearful of the future. Man, think about this kid at five years old. His dad's murdered. His grandfather commits suicide and he's disabled. And think about how many times in life that sequence of events at age five sabotaged opportunities and relationships and people and places and things for the rest of his life. No doubt for a while he had some strength and some energy and wanted to show up and make friends or show up and get educated or show up and get a job. But too many doors slammed in his face and too many people talking behind his back and too many failures and too many broken relationships and too much betrayal and too much abandonment. And pretty soon he decides, since it's always been like this, That must just be how it's always going to be. And man, to think even two steps ahead from Mephibosheth and for you and for me, when we're infected by toxic shame, we can't think two steps ahead because we can't bear the thought it's going to keep on being like it's always been. And we approach every single day based on the pain we've already lived through In our past. Toxic shame steals your value. Man, at this point, he he says it all in that in that statement, doesn't he? King, who who is your servant that you'd even acknowledge? Think about this a dead dog like me. In the life of Mephibosheth, the lie that he is worthless, that because of his disability, that because of his father's death, that because of his suicide, that because of people's mistakes and his pain, he is convinced now that those lies are really truth about him. He's convinced now that the darkness he's been living in really is what he was supposed to experience in life. He now seems the good as impossible and the evil as probable and because the truth has been twisted into a lie he would say I feel like I'm just a living dead man (laughs) but you know the one prerequisite to resurrection come on somebody you got to be dead you got to be dead you know the type of people Jesus wants to follow him into freedom are man this is good preaching 
The type of people Jesus wants to follow Him into freedom are the type of people who are in prison and want to get out. The type of people that Jesus wants to follow Him are the ones who know they're blind and they need a leader to guide them out. The type of people Jesus wants to follow Him are the type of people that know they need to be discipled and mentored and freed and transformed and saved because they see that they're dead. That's the kind of people that Jesus is asking to follow him. The solution to shame is redemption. That's the solution to shame. It's redemption. Let me give you a couple of thoughts on redemption here. The first is that redemption gives you a seat at the king's table. I want to go back to a scripture from 2 Samuel 9. This is verse 7. You guys are doing a great job following me on the PowerPoint. David's reaction to Mephibosheth's language there. Man, I love this. Man, don't be afraid. Every single person in your life, Mephibosheth, may have judged you based on who your family is. Every single person in your life may have judged you based on what your physical capability is. Every person in your life may have judged you based on other people's opinions of you, but fear not. Why? Because I want to give you a seat at my table. Here's two truths. The first thing I want you to know is no matter how deep the darkness or how bad the depression or how heavy the bondage of shame or how toxic the pain, that there is a king who is looking for you. There is a king who wants to know where your heart is. There is a king who is seeking you, who wants to find you, who wants you to find him, who wants to deliver you from the fear you have of your future and heal the pain in your past. There's a king who is seeking after you and wants to give you not a seat on the front porch. Not a seat on the inner court. He wants to give you a seat at his own table, not just for one meal or not just for one week. He wants you to sit at his table for the rest of your life. Redemption gives you a seat at the table of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That is God's truth. Here's the second truth about redemption and the way that it transforms and heals shame. Redemption replaces pain and fear with healing and hope. David says to Mephibosheth, I, I love this word, I will restore. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your father Saul. There are places in your life today, no doubt, that need to be restored. Mephibosheth's story is your story, is my story. There are places in your life that need to be restored, that need to be blessed, that need to be healed, that need to be transformed. There are places in your life that need to be restored. Redemption heals you through restoration. Shame... Toxic shame leaves us expecting nothing. Redemption gives us exceedingly, abundantly what we could ask for or even imagine. 
Mephibosheth wasn't expecting to go to the household of the future king and be blessed. I'll tell you what he was expecting. He was expecting to go to the household of the current king and future king and get killed because he was the son of the previous dynasty. Man, just to have a little shack would have been enough. Or better than that, even a house. Man, but not to get too presumptuous, even a mansion. But to have every bit of his family's fortune restored. And and some of you don't believe the truth that God really has the power to restore your marriage to a place exceedingly abundantly above where you could even imagine. Some of you don't believe God has the power to restore your finances to a place exceedingly abundantly above what you could ask or even imagine. Some of you have bought into the lie and don't believe the truth that God has the power to restore your health to a place exceedingly abundantly above what you could ask or even even imagine the lives of your children can be restored exceedingly abundantly above what you could ask or even imagine this church this community your family of origin there is nothing on planet earth that god cannot restore exceedingly abundantly above what you could ask or even imagine and if you don't start expecting transformation and healing and redemption god's going to withhold it he needs you to show up with that attitude of expectation and let him bless you exceedingly abundantly above even what you expect to last thing I want to mention and I'm going to close redemption gives you a seat at the table redemption replaces pain and fear with healing and hope redemption restores your honor you know the way to heal shame it's that first sentence in 2 Samuel Nine seven. I'll show you kindness. You want to help heal someone of their shame because they've been through a divorce or they have a child addicted to drugs or they've experienced bankruptcy or they're living as a single parent or they've had failure in business or you want to help restore someone to health from that shame. One simple ingredient required, kindness. Kindness. And it is just a tragedy to say that that's a precious commodity. In our culture today, don't be afraid, David says to Mephibosheth, for I will show you kindness. I want to go to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 to close. The Bible here is talking about our true king. There's a good, there's a good metaphor here. There's a good parallel between King David and King Jesus. And I've been trying to make the parallel between you and I and Mephibosheth this whole sermon. Here's what the Bible says about our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords, Jesus. He is the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Listen to this phrase, despising its shame. And he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Your king and my king, the king, the Lord Jesus Christ, despises the shame of the cross because he despises toxic shame. Shame 
Toxic shame influences you to write your own story based on the lies of the enemy. Redemption wants you to write your story based on the truth of the love and kindness of God shown to you and I by the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your shame says you are broken. The cross says you are loved. Your shame says you're worthless. The cross says you are wanted. Shame says you're weak and helpless. The cross says in your weakness you are strong. Your shame says this is not going to get any better. The cross says Jesus is the author and finisher of your story, not you. Shame says I can't. The cross says you can. Shame says this is impossible. But the cross says all things are possible. Shame says I'm dead. But the cross says you can be made alive again. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise because He can bring life from death. He can take a dead dog and give him a spot at the king's table. Man, good night. I thank God for that truth. Listen, that's my story, man. I don't have time to tell it all to you because I'm 17 minutes past the time I was supposed to conclude. And I got elders giving me the the stank eye, okay? So I'm going to land. This is my second closing, guys, all right? Uh, Guys, man, God has been on me about this. Because I know you need this. I don't know what the need is, but I know you've bought into some lies you shouldn't have. And today God is trying to correct that. Your shame might say you're dead and hopeless and beyond repair. The cross says that's the one requirement that you have to have before you can be brought back to new life again. I'm going to pray. If God is working on your heart, please respond this morning. We want to encourage you and pray with you and, 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 and surrender to God right alongside you. Let's bow. Lord, I come before you just so grateful for the love of the Lord Jesus Christ shown to us on the cross of Calvary. Even if we feel so hopeless as to say we're dead. Jesus is right there on the cross saying, I'm going to bring you to new life again. God, I just ask for any heart that you've moved on to respond today so that your healing and resurrecting can take place. I ask all these things in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.